You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In the first week of January 1749, an advertisement made its way into London's newspapers. It read as follows. At the new theater in the Haymarket, on Monday next, the 16th, is to be seen a person who performs the several most surprising things following. First, he takes a common walking cane from any of the spectators and thereupon plays the music of every instrument now in use and likewise sings to surprising perfection. Secondly, he provides you with a common wine bottle, which any of the spectators may first examine. This bottle is placed on a table in the middle of the stage, and he, without any equivocation, goes into it, in the sight of all the spectators, and sings in it. During his stay in the bottle, any person may handle it and see plainly that it does not exceed a common tavern bottle. Those on the stage or in the boxes may come in masked habits, if agreeable to them, and the performer, if desired, will inform them who they are. Tickets to be had at the theater. To begin a half an hour after six o'clock, the performance continues about two hours and a half. Note, if any gentlemen or ladies, after the above performance, either single or in company, in or out of mask, is desirous of seeing a representation of any deceased person, such as husband or wife, sister or brother, or any intimate friend of either sex, upon making a gratuity to the performer, shall be gratified by seeing and conversing with them for some minutes as if alive. Likewise, if desired, he will tell you your most secret thoughts in your past life and give you a full view of persons who have injured you, whether dead or alive. For those gentlemen and ladies who are desirous of seeing this last part, there is a private room provided. These performances have been seen by most of the crowned heads of Asia, Africa, and Europe, and never appeared public anywhere but once, but will wait on any at their houses and perform as above for five pounds each time. A proper guard is appointed to prevent disorder. It was a flummoxing listing. Any single one of these tasks would be impossible, but all of them together? Totally ludicrous. An obvious con job. So, naturally, when on Monday the 16th, 6.30 rolled around, the Haymarket Theater was... Filled to bursting. This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Today's episode, Gullibottle. For six days, London was abuzz with gossip and speculation over the upcoming show. People had seen seances before, and being able to name people through their masks felt like a reasonable enough trick. 
The omni-instrumental walking cane was certainly intriguing, but mostly the interest centered around the bottle. A full-grown man jumping into a wine bottle? Or crawling, maybe? Or what? How could that be? What would that look like? Would he shrink down to miniature size? Or contort himself into a twisted ball? London had to know. By showtime, the place was packed to the gills. The main floor, the orchestra, the pit, the mezzanine, the balcony, the boxes, everything was sold out. People started buying up standing room, mulling in the aisles or the back of the house. The mysterious bottle conjurer brought in all walks of life, peasants and paupers, gentry and professionals. Even Prince William Augustus, Duke of Cumberland, son of King George, was in attendance. As this melange of Londonites filed into the resplendent Haymarket Theater, they might have already thought that something was up. Then, 29 years old, it had fallen on hard times. The Theatrical Licensing Act of 1737 had introduced a hard hammer of censorship to British stages, and up until that point, the Haymarket had made its way as a nakedly political entity, staging Tory satires of King George and the ruling party. For the decade preceding The Bottle Conjurer, John Potter, the owner, had made ends meet mostly through one-off bookings and skirting the law on technicalities. Because the Haymarket wasn't licensed to produce plays, dramatists like Samuel Foote would instead play host to musical acts, performers, or comedians, and then offer up what they winkingly insisted were rehearsals afterwards. This kind of legal skirting was common in the day, but the venue's reputation for antics and desperation might have added to any already present and reasonable skepticism about what exactly the audience was walking into. And say, exactly what were they walking into? As the crowd made its way past the doors, the people saw a blank stage, totally empty. Just the theater's standard grand drape that was always there. Not a chair, not a table, and most notably, not a bottle to be found. As the audience found their seats, they noticed something else missing, too. There was no band, no orchestra, no music or pre-show entertainment of any kind. In fact, past the box office, there didn't seem to be anyone around affiliated with the theater, let alone the show, at all. 6.30 came and went without a sound or movement on stage. By 6.45, the crowd was yelling and booing, banging their canes and clapping in time to angry chants. And then at 7 o'clock, some rustling was seen behind the curtain. After a moment, a figure appeared. It was the house manager. The lights were brought up, and he announced that if the conjurer didn't appear in the next half hour, their tickets would be refunded. This was not the news the people wanted to hear. They hissed and screamed. One man yelled up from the pit, If you double the fee, I'll climb into a pint glass. Pretty good line but ultimately the mob decided not worth the price of admission. About 15 minutes after the house manager's appearance, the tensions hit a breaking point. Somebody chucked a lit candle onto the stage, and with that, all pandemonium broke loose. People burst from their chairs, clamoring onto the stage and tearing it apart. The angry mob ripped the seats and benches out of the floor, clawed at the molding, grabbed at the drapery. Meanwhile, the ladies and gentlemen of the group, including the prince, beat a hasty retreat, making for the doors so afraid of being caught up in the riot that they left behind their coats and bags and wigs, which the rabble quickly collected for their own. Over the course of the next hour or so, everything that wasn't nailed down, and plenty of stuff that was, was carted out of the Haymarket Theater and into the street. 
There, the chairs and props and equipment were formed up into a giant pile, with the grand drape torn and hoisted up as a flag atop a long pole. Then, the whole thing was set ablaze and, by night's end, reduced to ash. In the meantime, somebody ran off with the box office receipts, never to be seen again. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In the morning, the ridicule began. Over the course of the next week and a half, London's newspapers, broadsheets, and pamphlets were beset with advertisements, editorials, and satires lampooning the whole affair. One ad claimed to be written by the conjurer's brother, who swore that if the same rubes who'd gathered at the Haymarket last time returned with twice the ticket price the coming Monday, he'd be sure to make good on his siblings' act. Another claimed to offer a poetic apology from the missing performer for revealing to the world how foolish the people of London really were. Still other ads hawked further improbable shows. A man jumping down his own throat, a man shooting himself twice in the head, and a man replacing the eyes of any audience member daring enough to pull them out in front of him. One paper offered an explanation for the disappointing no-show. They contended that, before the performance, a gentleman of means had met the conjurer backstage and asked for a private performance. When the magician obliged and stuffed himself into the bottle, the gentleman pounced upon it with a cork, trapping our misunderstood hero inside. The paper said that the conjurer was unharmed and that his new owner does remove the cork thrice daily to deliver food and water. But obviously, he was unable to make his appearance on the Haymarket stage, as he had promised to enter one bottle, not two at one time. Then there were the folks who took the prank in less generous humor. They wanted to know who was responsible. Initially, it was assumed Samuel Foote was at fault. Not only was the actor and dramatist known to stage work at the Haymarket, he also had a reputation for nasty pranks, satires, feuds, and mimicry. But Foote said no. Not only had he not arranged the show, but he had been suspicious of it from the start, warning the Haymarket's owner, John Potter, that it didn't seem on the up and up. Of course, then, the next logical suspect was Potter. But he said he hadn't done the booking. In fact, he didn't know who had. Some mystery man had made the arrangements. Anyway, he'd been ready to refund all the money had somebody not absconded with the box. So the trail went cold and the jokes went hot. More pamphlets were published, ballads were written, caricatures were drawn, including one entitled English Credulity, or You're All Bottled. Starting January 26th, a show running down the street, the pantomime of Apollo and Daphne, added a new scene of, quote, the escape of Harlequin into a quart bottle. In the summer, a new play premiered, 
the magician or the bottle conjurer. To be bottled meant to be fooled by something silly, which I think we should bring back in common parlance. For years, the bottle conjurer was a shorthand jab for gullible Englishmen, which it turned out was precisely what it was meant to become. A few weeks before the ad went out, William Bentinck, the Duke of Portland, and Philip Dormer Stanhope, the Earl of Chesterfield, were commiserating about just that very English gullibility. William said something to the tune of, if you advertised the most impossible thing in the world, you'd find enough idiots in London to fill a full playhouse and pay handsomely for the privilege. The Earl then suggested, off the top of his head, that surely no one would believe, say, that a man could jump into a quart bottle. And like that, the bet was made. The two wrote up the ad together and booked the venue, all in a gentleman's wager about the guilelessness of their countrymen. I don't know how much the Duke won, but I hope he used some of it to pay down the damages to the Haymarket. Support your local theaters, folks. That'll do it for this week's episode. Nice to have something small and inoffensive, huh? Kind of a digestif for the last few shows. Let us know what you think via our Facebook group, facebook.com slash theconstantpodcast, or on Twitter, where our handle is at constantpodcast. Something interesting happened a couple of weeks ago. I got a notice that the show was trending on Apple Podcasts. It had suddenly jumped into the top history shows in the U.S. And that was very exciting. So I went to go check and see if there was some big influx of people listening or whether we'd miraculously fallen onto the featured page or something, and no. What I discovered was that over the course of a day or two, four people had rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts. Four. And that had been enough to drive us up into the rankings where, potentially, new people discovered and found the show. What is the moral of this story, I wonder? That's how easy it is to make a big difference to the constant. If 10 of you go right now and give us five stars and just write whatever, write that you like the show or write some inside joke, write about what you wish we'd talk about or do more of or do less of, that could mean hundreds of new listeners get a chance to find us. If 20 of you did that or 100, oh, my heart swells, my mind boggles. Special thanks as usual to everybody who's already taken the time to help spread the word and to everybody who contributed to make this season possible, particularly Sean Gallagher, who donated at the Constantine level and writes, My life has been full of wanted knowns and unwanted knowns, and there are likely plenty of unwanted unknowns lurking. Thank you for all the wanted unknowns. That's a tongue twister, Sean, but thank you. Until next time, from Chicago, Illinois, where we have our own ever-running bottle prank called Malort, this has been The Constant. Do people outside of Chicago know what Malort is? Is that, like, a strictly a Cook County secret? Look, if you've never heard of Malort before, don't, don't look into it. Just next time you're in Chicago, go to a bar and and just tell somebody that this is your first time in the city and and they'll they'll get you a shot and you'll um thank me.
Later.